Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. Hey guys, it's Ruben from Dub on Connection Loop. This is Dub podcast where we get to interview all sorts of interesting folks all over the world. Um, just so you guys have some context, dub.com is a video communication platform. Quickly send videos from Gmail, LinkedIn, all sorts of CRMs, mobile app, Chrome extension, a lot of fun. Grab a free account if you don't already have one. Today I have Marissa Portuondo, who actually is of Cuban descent. I just learned that, so I'd love to learn about that a little bit. And Marissa is actually an attorney, so I guess we are officially in the legal space. This wasn't our intended audience for Dub, but it makes total sense to be used from a legal perspective, client attorney perspective. So Marissa, I'd love to learn a little bit about you, about your business, you know, how you're using video. I understand you have a little bit of a technology or IS background or a degree at least. Would love to learn about that a little bit. Great. Hi, Ruben. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Thanks for, for being here. Thank yeah. you for having me. So we are a boutique law firm in Miami, and we focus mostly on business and construction. We also do property damage cases, um, you know, when we have hurricanes or there's a big cast iron issue going on down here in South Florida, but our main focus is on business and construction. So, you know, we cater to business owners. A lot of our clients are smaller to medium-sized business owners, and we found out about Dub a few months ago, and we've gotten really awesome feedback. Um, people really like the personal touch, which I think is missing a lot in our field, to be honest. Yeah, and why do you think that is? Well, I think people are scared of lawyers. I think that people are, are intimidated by lawyers, and I think some lawyers maybe feel like they need to be really formal, and they need to be stiff. And if that's the only way that, you know, they'll have respect from their peers or from their clients. But I've found that my clients really appreciate that I'm genuine and I'm pretty casual. And I think also, you know, we're just, we're busy. We're really busy people. So, you know, it's not easy to take the time sometimes to make those connections. And I think that you kind of get sucked into the legal world and you kind of forget about the relationship building. And that's, you know, something that I'm really trying to work on in my firm. Right. Well, I think that's critical. I mean, I think a lot about how a service provider, in your case, of course, law services, how you can stand out from the crowd, how you can be different, how you can have a competitive advantage, how you can sort of delight your prospects and your clients. And, you know, I think a lot of people spend money, they invest into that. So they invest into lunches and dinners and different ways to kind of connect with people, you know, gift cards, Starbucks, Amazon cards, things like that. Um, just to capture that person, to get a little bit of mind share, a little bit of time to get their attention, right? And, you know, I think that some of that stuff works, but I think people are starting to see through that. And, you know, my kind of overall philosophy is that people want to have trust. They want to have information. They want to have education. They want to have value. They want to know what they're getting into before they get into it. So it seems like in your use case, you know, video accomplishes a lot of those things while still being economical. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we use the videos to communicate with our clients. We use them to do just educational videos for a wider audience. I use them to record happy birthday messages to my clients. I love, especially when our, some, sometimes our clients are long distance, they're on the other side of the state, or maybe their issue is in state, but they live somewhere else. And I love being able to get on, especially when it's good news and letting someone know like, oh, we just had an awesome outcome in your case, or, you know, this is looking good. This is a conversation I just had with, you know, opposing party or whatever it is that we can convey through a message is so much more effective than just some boring email. And the clients really seem to like it. So... Very cool. So I guess here's my question for you. So there's, you know, a lot of the people that listen to this show, a lot of the people that use Dub, they are small businesses, solopreneurs, and we have some larger clients as well. But, you know, a lot of folks are sort of foreign to the legal requirements of starting or running a business. So, you know, I've definitely gone through some of those trials and tribulations in my career, and it's daunting. And there's some great um, services, you know, there's LegalZoom and there's some online services. Of course, all of those are sort of discount in nature and they're not full service. But then there's folks like yourself that provide commercial law, you know, corporate law. So I'd love to get some kind of quick tips from you on best practices for small business owners. What are the things that they should be thinking about from a legal perspective? You know, whether it's formation or privacy, terms of use, partnership, non-compete, you know, HR, employee, 
like if you could just sort of give us, you know, a couple of best practices, things to kind of think about, uh, I think that would help people. Sure. So I think the first thing is, you know, you got to come up with your name. There's like a little bit of that marketing that has to go on before you're even ready to incorporate. People like to hit the ground running. A lot of people get the idea in their head and then they kind of start reaching out to people and they do all of this before they've incorporated. And then they'll call my office and it's like, oh, you know, I got this contract coming and I need it reviewed and I need to be incorporated by tomorrow. (laughs) And uh, it's like it doesn't work that way. Right. You know, first things first, I would say definitely get online, you know, get on the division of corporations or whatever the equivalent of that is in your state. See if your name has already been taken for starters, because there's so much to your name. Right. You can't do anything without that name. You can't fill out any forms. You can't apply for anything. So that would be step one, I would say, is like make sure that what that name is going to be isn't taken by somebody else already or isn't so similar that you might end up with some cease and desist, you know, right out of the gate. And then you really need to think about it. Then this is for, like, say, the solopreneur that's coming out on his or her own contact you know, an attorney right away. LegalZoom, unfortunately, I'm sure they won't like me saying this, but I make money off LegalZoom because people come to me and, oh, you know, you have this contract through LegalZoom or I incorporate it through LegalZoom. And it's just, there's so many mistakes. It's really, you know, we do go to school for a long time for a reason. It's not something you can just do with a quick program and do it correctly. So I would say, you know, find an attorney's know how to price things you know, in a way that they can, you know, market themselves to people at different price points. So just because you're not wealthy or you don't have this huge, you know, amount of capital doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to afford at least the very basic legal services to incorporate correctly. Another mistake that I see people do frequently is they they choose the wrong business entity, again, because they're not seeking counsel. They're trying to do it all on their own. And it's a little frustrating as a business attorney when you hear people just, they don't want to spend the money, but then they blow like, you know, three, four, five thousand dollars a year on like insuring their car. And so I always use that analogy. I'm like, you're insuring this depreciating asset that isn't really making you any money, but you don't want to pay, you know, even a portion of that to protect and start your business the right way. And your business is what's going to put food on your table. It's what's going to feed your family. It's what's going to make you successful. So I really urge people like make that investment, do it right from the start. If you are going to enter into some kind of business relationship with a partner, this is where things get more intricate and where it's even more important that you have the counsel, you know, of a good business attorney to write the proper agreement between you and your partner. And so frequently I see people who are going into business with their friends or going into business with family. And they're the ones that always think they don't need the agreements. You know, it's my brother. He's not going to, you know, we're not going to have a problem or I've known this guy for years. And I always tell people the same thing. I say, you know, you probably need an agreement more than two strangers because the agreement's what's going to save your relationship at the end of the day. In business, there are always disagreements when you have partners. And if you have those difficult conversations at the beginning, when everyone is happy and everyone's excited and everyone's, you know, wanting to move forward, you eliminate so much of the arguing and and the stalemates and the things that sink you know, partnerships and ruin relationships. I've seen, you know, families ruined. I've seen friendship, you know, lifelong friendships ruined by by business disagreements. So I always really try to convince people this is so important, you know, that you get this right. It's it's a lifelong commitment if if things work out and you want to, you know, it's hard to fix things once they're out, right? So once the fight starts, no one wants to compromise. So at the beginning, everyone's happy. Everyone wants to compromise. That's when you should set your expectations down and get everything on paper. And I find that's where most disagreements in life come from is like a difference in expectations. And I would say that also goes for your clients. So similarly, you need to set those expectations from the start with your clients with a proper contract. So they know what they can expect from you and you know what you can expect from them. And again, that's going to help avoid problems, which can, you know, which will cost way more than a simple contract will. Well, I I really like what you said about, you know, thinking about legal protection um, in a similar way as to insuring a a vehicle. And that that makes total sense to me that people blindly, of course, it's the law in most states, but people blindly pay insurance and, you know, put a premium on that. But then they sort of cut corners, I think, a lot of the time when it comes to sort of legal formation, partnership agreement and so on and so forth. So I think that's a really, really good, responsible thing to say. And I think that, um, you know, people should take heed to that. So. Great point there. One of the things that we sort of went back and forth on and actually are still doing that is our terms of use and our privacy. So 
obviously we're a software platform, so we're a little bit different. You know, having the terms of use, having the privacy is, is pretty important. There's, you know, GDPR as well. And so that's something that we're also navigating and going through on top of it. So any kind of best practices or a little bit of guidance for anyone that has a website that needs a couple of those things set up from a legal perspective? Um, I think there are attorneys who definitely specialize more in that, and that is not my specialty. I do try to keep up with the trends, you know, everything that happened with European clients, for example, if if your website might be viewed by people in Europe, obviously you had to update everything with that. I think that the best practice is to use a professional company when it comes to forming your website, or at least to edit, you know, you can form your website, but then have someone come in and kind of, you know, professionalize it for lack of a better word, and make sure that that company is keeping current with those laws. You know, as attorneys, people always think like, well, you're a lawyer, you know, don't you know that? And I'm like, well, you know, it's like asking a brain surgeon if they know about your foot problem. We, we specialize huh. in certain things. And so if you can't rely on your attorney to know every little thing, like the most current website requirements, then I think that's where the vendor should be held responsible. And if your vendor can't help you with that, then you might want to consider maybe, you know, going with a vendor who can, because to me, I think it's important that as vendors, you keep up with the trends and the requirements um, and the services that you're providing to your clients. So I I would be more of the person to like, let me review your contract with your a website provider to make sure they're protecting you and make sure that they're keeping you updated and make sure that you're compliant. That would be my advice. Got it. Very cool. Great advice. Uh, I'm actually on your website right now, which is, um, could you give us your URL? Is it plfmiami.com? Yeah. PLF, like Port Tolondo Law Firm, miami.com. We are actually in the middle of revamping our website. So it's going to be pretty different in the next couple of weeks, but yeah. Well, I mean, right off the bat, I mean, I like the direction that you guys are going into. I, the, the site is clean. You know, it's a little parallax. I like the multiple panels. I like the kind of value-oriented play that you guys have. There's right at the top, free resource. There's a download. There's a nice ebook. I love that. I'm all about that, you know, providing value. I think a lot of people, what they suffer from is they are sort of rooted and focused and stuck in this bottom of funnel realm where contact us. You know, and, and of course, that's important and book a time and we need that and consultation. Of course, that's what works. But at the same time, not everyone is ready to do that and they might not be ready to pull the trigger to make that choice and they want to educate themselves and, instead. And in, in this case, I think you guys have a really good asset for that. So kudos to you for really being value resource oriented. Thank you. Yeah, I completely agree. I think um, we're in such a a different world now where there's so much information at people's fingertips. And if you want people to trust you and to believe that you know what you're talking about, I think the standard is so much higher now. I think it used to be like three touches was like what was expected before someone would hire you. And that's grown exponentially. I like teaching people. I like educating people. I get frustrated when people come to my office and, you know, even though maybe I might make more money off them being in a difficult situation, I wish, you know, they always tell me the same thing. I wish I had known you sooner. I wish I had come to you sooner. So we really try to educate our clients as much as possible with here are the ways to avoid coming to me when it's too late or when it's going to cost you, you know, a catastrophic amount of money. And I I think that, you know, maybe some attorneys and just business owners in general, they're scared to give away what they know. They're kind of almost greedy with their information because they think that, oh, why would someone hire me if I'm giving them the information? You know, why the cow when you can get the milk for free for a terrible analogy. But, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we find that it builds trust. And that's what I think people, especially nowadays, especially the younger up and coming consumers are really all about that. And if you don't, you know, adapt or die, it's, it's, that's the way I see it. Yeah, exactly. Adapt or die. There it is. So you guys, uh, I also really like how you're a very a video forward um, entity. I mean, you guys have three videos right on your homepage, which is great. There's kind of a, a general, what can a business attorney do for me? And then there's two ones that are on specific kind of subtopic. I really like that. Are you considering putting more video content out there? Are you considering getting yourself into a daily or weekly flow of answering some frequently asked questions and kind of feeling, feeding your YouTube channels, you know, kind of feeding the search engines to get your content out there and to get, of course, more visibilities and more bookings. Absolutely. We have a, a video FAQ page that has, you know, quite a bit of our videos. And I am constantly, I use um, 
Asana to kind of keep me organized with like my admin tasks that aren't necessarily related to legal matters. And I love it because it's on my phone. It's on my computer. It's always with me. So, you know, you have that brilliant idea in the shower or whenever two in the two o'clock in the morning when you can't sleep. And so I just grab my phone and I think, of, oh, this would make a great video. And I, and I put it on there. And then when I have time, I'll try to film, you know, a few videos back to back to try to save time. And then, you know, we'll start putting them out there and we try to put them out as much as possible, you know, on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our, you know, video FAQ page and, and on YouTube. But I am actually in the process of recording a video. I didn't like the way it came out, so I have to redo it using Dub. And I had to get an email template set up where I'm going to send that out to all my business owners and I'm going to ask them for feedback. Like, hey, you know, what's your burning question that you want me to answer? And and I'm using Dub to do it because what I want to do that I think would be fun is, you know, while we're at it, click this button. And if you're feeling brave, you know, you can ask me on video instead of sending me an email. And I think that would be a fun way to kind of, you know, do an FAQ video is like have the person asking it and then have me responding to it. So I think that would be something fun. I don't, I don't know of any attorneys that are doing anything like that. And it's just a great way to get your audience engaged in the process. Yeah, that's very cool. I mean, we have this reply with video feature, which yeah. we were really excited about when we launched it. And uh, it's I would say that it's low to moderate adoption at this point. Maybe we could do a better job to promote it and to kind of explain the capabilities of it. But we're constantly looking for different use cases of this. And I, I really like the one that you've presented, which is basically a FAQ. I mean, that's very similar to how a podcast is where you can ask a recorded question. I think that's a really cool use case. I also think that uh, it's good for testimonials. So yeah. You know, right at that premium moment where someone's very happy and, you know, ready to sort of share something positive about you and your firm, I would encourage you to use it for video testimonials. Now, I understand there's some privacy issues and, you know, it's a little probably a little bit more nuanced and maybe difficult in the legal industry. But nevertheless, there's always that opportunity. So um, that's a great use case. Let me know how that works out. Yeah, I've, I've been dying to do some video testimonials, but, I, you know, to be honest, I'm a little bit shy about asking people. I feel people are, first of all, people are inherently shy, I think. You know, even business owners are like, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to do videos, but I'm just not ready. I'm not camera ready. And I'm, you just got to do it. You just got to rip off the Band-Aid. And it's easy to say that to a colleague, but to a client, it's, you know, it's a little difficult. And I think this is one of the reasons why attorneys are, we have a lot of reasons why we are behind when it comes to technology and marketing and everything. But one of the big reasons in marketing is that we're so restricted, you mm -hmm. know, the bar, I can't speak for other states where the Florida bar is extremely restrictive as to what you can and can't do when you're advertising. And so they kind of put the fear of God into you. And I think people are afraid to try new things because they, they, they're worried, you know, it's going to violate an ethical rule or something like that. You know, you can't put someone's first and last name on a review on your website. You can't, you know, reveal too much about someone's case. If someone disparages you, God forbid, you know, puts a bad review out there about you, you can't really respond or get into it too much because then you're violating attorney-client privilege, assuming they even were a client. And so, you know, we're just restricted a lot and it's unfortunate, but it's the name of the game. But I would love to do the testimonial thing. I know some attorneys have gotten their clients to do it. I just, I think about my clients and I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how, how open they would be to the idea, but it doesn't hurt to ask. So, well, there's actually sort of a, a little bit of a hack or a kind of a best practice that we recommend for getting testimonials. The most obvious and easiest thing to do from the requester's perspective is to just text the person, call the person, ask the person, hey, do you mind recording a video when you get some time? Use your phone, use an app, use something where you can just record something and then send it to me. Most of the time, if there's positive vibes, the person will say yes verbally, but then most of the time they actually won't do it, right? Not because they weren't being genuine, but because it feels a little bit unnatural. It's not really part of your workflow to just grab your phone record a testimonial and then send it to someone. If you're in the video space or in the marketing space, or if you're that sort of personality type on LinkedIn, the type of person that's constantly putting stuff out there, yeah, maybe they will do it. But most of the folks that you know we maybe talk to are not necessarily like that. So 
the the practice that we have done to really make someone comfortable and to really give them a framework to be able to capture video testimonials is to actually organize a call just like this. So a Skype call, a Zoom call, and you can kind of go back and forth and sort of interview them. You can ask a couple of questions and then just record it, of course, with their permission. And then from that, you can either cut a snippet that they give you, which is a nice little testimonial, or if you have the time, then you can actually cut that into something that's a little bit more produced. So we always recommend that to people, you know, guide them, give them a little bit of compassion, give, set up the tech for them, get it all kind of worked out, get a nice frame, assist them where, with the lighting and the sound and similar to kind of what we went through back and forth on. And then they feel more comfortable. And once they've spoken for five to 10 minutes, they might just give you a perfect 30 second testimonial, something to think about. That's actually an awesome idea. I, I really like that idea. And I do have software that would allow me to set that up and record it and everything I had. I have done it um, for written reviews where people are like, yeah, I'll write your review. I just don't, you know, I'm so bad at this. Everyone always says the same thing. And I say, oh, you know, I, I can send you a list of questions that'll just at least get the flow going, right? I think people appreciate that. It's almost like asking someone for a letter of recommendation. You never know what to write, even though you really like the person and, and you're happy about the things that they've done for you. So I think that's an awesome idea. I love it. I, I'll try that. Very cool. Yeah. And I think that a lot of it is the initial coaching, you know, just to get them a little bit more comfortable. One of the things that we actually do at Dub, which is kind of fun, is that we provide a managed service where we actually direct and coach people on what type of videos to record. So we'll have a one hour session and we'll say, well, what is your goal? Is it are you trying to talk to prospects or existing clients or seek referrals, testimonials? We're kind of understand what their goals are and then We'll coach them, come up with a very loose script, and then have them drop it right there on the recorded call. And then after the call, we just cut up you know, the little snippets that are relevant and either have them upload it to their Dub account or if we get their permission, then we can actually go do it. And that's been kind of an effective thing, but it's for a very specific type of person. But what we've learned is that you know people do need a lot of coaching when they for social media, for FaceTime. You know, for fun little Instagram or Facebook videos, it's you don't think about it. It's brainless. But the second that it's a business focused video, that's a new realm. You know, we're sort of on the cutting edge of that. So, I mean, I actually applaud you for being a very early adopter into video marketing as a whole, because like I said earlier, for the legal space, it's, it's very new. So you have a little bit of a background in IS or you have a degree, as I understand. Um, talk to me about that. What is your kind of origin story be? What is your kind of career path? How did you end up in that chair? Um, so I've kind of been all over the place, to be honest, with my career. I, <laughs> my entire life, I wanted to be an astronaut, believe it or not. I was not like, I'm five years old and I want to be an astronaut. I was <laughs> dead set, you know, where I was going to go. I did like the whole space camp thing every year. I was a total nerd when it came to all that stuff. I loved it. Um, I eventually ended up going into space camp has this program called like aviation challenge where you fly, you know, F-16 and F-18, the same simulators that they train their fighter pilot, you know, the real fighter pilots on it. It's just awesome. So I was really just a hundred percent gung ho and in, in gung ho into, into that. And then I think it was my senior year when I took physics and I was like, Oh, this is, this is really hard. I'm not getting it. Even though I was really good at math and science my whole life, I just hated physics. And I realized, I don't know that I'm going to be an engineer if I hate physics. And at the time, that was kind of the only path to doing that. So when I graduated from high school, I went off to college and kind of had my, my hopes dashed at that point. I, I did a psych uh, undergrad because I liked psychology and I didn't know where I was going. And everyone told me this is such a diverse uh degree. You know, you can go into medicine, you can go into business, you can go into law. So I did that. And then I still was just bouncing around with jobs, didn't know what I wanted to do. And, you know, the tech industry was blowing up. This was early. Uh, this was like the turn of the, of the millennium. So I went and got my master's while I was working full time, which was crazy. And I knocked it mm -hmm. out in like 11 months. It was this like insane program. And so I was just like, yeah, I'll do it. Why not? And I did that. I worked on a couple projects and then the bubble kind of just burst. And I ended up in a job in the same company that I was doing an ERP project on worldwide. When the project ended, they wanted to keep me. I'm doing like manufacturing all of a sudden. I'm in operations and I'm like, I kind of like it for pharmaceuticals, but this isn't really what I love. Like I kind of had a 
like a career crisis, I guess, where I had to figure out what I wanted to do. And law school had always kind of been in the back of my mind. So I went out one night in New Orleans with some friends and one of them happened to be a lawyer and we had a real late night talking and drinking whiskey. And he said, just take the test and see how you do. And you know, you might even get a scholarship based on your scores. And I did, um, I, t I took his advice. I took the test, I did really well. They offered me a scholarship and the rest was history. So it was kind of just a really, insane path to get to law school but I, I love what i do i love helping business owners i think that my my systems degree gives me such an edge on the advice that i can give them with regards they kind of get all this information for free from me to be honest constantly you know on them about their systems and their procedures and you know my business background because my degree was in from the business school so got it yeah i think it's just a like a, a free bonus that my clients get and I'm like, why don't you have an assistant? Why aren't you automating things? Why don't you have a management software yet? And so they love it. It's, it really helps them and their efficiency and their growth. Very cool. Um, you that know, one of the things, <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I, it's funny because I always prefer to work with people that went through a nonlinear path to their ultimate career. You know, people that kind of went through that linear path that just sort of immediately ended up doing what they were, are doing now. Um, some of the times that's just what they were destined to do and, and, and they just intended to do that as, as a kid. But a lot of folks, they sort of made a choice when they were young and then kind of got stuck into that. And then they never changed paths to do what they really wanted to do or what they really felt like they were destined to do. So, you know, people like yourself, I share that story. You know, people that have that sort of nonlinear went through a couple of different doors and windows to ultimately end up where they are. I always really connect to that on a human level. So thank you for sharing that. You know, I think a lot of business attorneys, especially the ones that work for larger firms and the ones who haven't, who have that linear path, like you said, you know, they go to high school, they go to undergrad, they go to law school, they become lawyers, they have zero business experience. So you may know the law, but if you've never worked in corporate America and or if you've never owned a business, I feel like you get so stuck in the legality of things. A lot of business attorneys, they call them deal killers because... <laughs> They go into a situation and they read a contract or they're presented with a situation and they, they lawyer it to death and mm -hmm. they just destroy the deal because they don't realize that at the end of the day, all the business owner cares about is the bottom line. And they just get so hung up on, on the legality of things. I think that having that background, anyone who's worked in corporate America and then decides to become a business attorney is going to have such an edge. and. You know, I tell my clients all the time, I started my business with nothing. You know, I didn't have money from mom and dad. I didn't inherit a firm. I didn't have a massive amount of savings by any stretch of the imagination. I was terrified when I started my firm. And, and so I get it. I get when people come in and they have concerns and they're worried about spending money or they're worried about losing money. Sometimes my clients give me pushback on the things that I suggest to them because by overprotecting them or protecting them 100%, they scare away their business prospects. And so, you know, we have to work with, all right, well, let's make this contract as bulletproof as possible without destroying the deal. And I think a lot of people, like you said, who have that linear path into law school, they've never experienced that. And so they, they don't get it. There it is. Yeah. Well, very well said. Um, so here's another question for you. So you're an attorney, you got to up and coming law firm here. How much of your job do you think is in sales? I think sales is huge in a law firm. And I think it's where so many attorneys drop the ball. When I first started my firm, I was so worried about being a lawyer and not, you know, getting a malpractice suit against me and not, you know, missing a deadline that I completely could not see the forest for the trees. I, it was such a, a slow crawl to grow my business because I was so focused on being the, the lawyer um, and, not, and not the business owner. And, and that's my number one advice to any business owner that I talk to is always the same thing. It's don't forget that you run a business and don't, you know, you have to figure out who you want to be in your business and you have to figure out, you know, do you want to be the worker bee? Do you want to be the manager? Or do you want to be the, the rainmaker? Because those are three very different roles. And in the beginning, you're probably all three because you're the only person working there. But if you get stuck, 
you know, only doing one of those things, it's going to be to the detriment of your business. For me, I want to be the rainmaker. That's my passion. I love marketing. I love talking to people. I love listening to their problems and strategizing and everything. But and then there's other people who they're like, I love writing and I love research and I love going to court and I love arguing. And maybe that's who I was when I first started. But I found that my passion is so much more about running my business. And when I learned that and I started focusing on what I loved the most, that's when my firm finally started to grow. That's when my business, you know, finally started to take off. And I think people lose sight of that. Love that. You're definitely diverse here. You have social wired up. So, I mean, I see icons on your site. So you're in sales, you're recording original video content. I mean, you're definitely, in a, I think a 1% club for, I think for law firms based on what I've seen. So I think that's really important. I, I actually, my take on this is that a lot of people don't feel like they're in sales and they don't feel like they need to do social. And it's unfortunate because sales and social are, first of all, they're hand in hand in this day and age. And they're just a great way to get that brand lift, to get original content out there, to share stories, to connect with people, get a little bit of a network effect or referral effect. But it's also just an essential means to grow. And, you know, a lot of consultants, a lot of kind of small business owners, they don't feel like they need to be quote unquote out there. They don't need to be putting content out there on these channels. And that's one of the things that I will encourage people to do is to really get into that mode, into that mindset of capturing content at whatever format, whatever level, whatever production value they can, as long as they're just doing it. I mean, I really like how you are sort of adapting to your different channels. Like your your Instagram page is Instagram friendly. It's not sales videos. It's not legal videos. It's great photography and it's cute pets and it's you and it's lifestyle stuff. And it allows me or the person on the other end to kind of connect on a personal level. I think that's really important. And I think that, you know, people should really understand what type of content should go on what channel. What was that process for you to kind of take on these different entities based on that social channel? So honestly, my marketing people were like, we don't do Instagram. <laughs> okay. And so it's like, okay, well, I like Instagram. And, you know, kind of like I said from the beginning, I'm, I'm an extremely informal person. I don't think that as an attorney, I need to be this robot all the time. I think people no longer want that kind of lawyer. I mean, maybe the older clients still expect you to be in a suit every time they meet with you and be very formal. But I find that when I'm human and I talk to my clients and I talk a lot about my struggles as a business owner on my Instagram page because I actually do that page like no one else touches my Instagram and people connect to it. I don't know that I get any you know leads or, or anyone hiring me off my Instagram. I certainly don't expect that. But I find that, you know, as a business owner, I like talking to other business owners about my struggles. I'm very honest about them. And I think that really makes people just trust you. And it's fun, you know, like who doesn't want to have a little bit of fun? Lawyers just, we don't have enough fun. So mm. I enjoy it, you know, where I really need to up my game is LinkedIn, to be honest. I was kind of like, I didn't really know LinkedIn very well. And I kind of found it boring when I first got on it. So I, I discarded it for a while. And my marketing, mm. you know, they post my like very salesy stuff on there. But as I've been learning more about it, they're like, you're a business attorney. You need to be getting personal with people on LinkedIn. So that's where I'm kind of trying to get better. Oh, I've spent a lot of time cracking the LinkedIn code and I'm still working on it. It's, I mean, from a business perspective, it's, it's unreal. I mean, the engagement that we get on LinkedIn is sometimes, especially for our more business focused content, I mean, it's sometimes 10x than what we'll get on other channels. And then frankly, it's just great for business because we can kind of target certain folks and we can sort of at reply, at mention them, you know, get their attention and then, you know, potentially get a click and have them understand what we are, what Dub is as a business platform and to see, you know, if it's something that can provide value to them. So I've definitely, I have my kind of list of best practices, tips and tricks for LinkedIn uh, I'm happy to share those with you. I can just take a couple of minutes here. Here's kind of what I've learned along the way on LinkedIn. So <laughs> here it goes. So the first thing is that it's really important to get your contacts into LinkedIn. So if you have a contact list that you've been creating on your social accounts, on Gmail, in your phone, it's really important to import those. I think the requirement is to have an email address. So make sure it's just clean, first name, last name, email, maybe even phone. And then what that's going to do is that's going to allow LinkedIn to go and make those connections. So it's going to go send invites to certain folks. And then you can just make sure that if people are already in your network, you can just have them in your LinkedIn network. So that's a really good way to get sort of an initial boost 
uh, I think the next thing is to engage with folks that you are already prospecting with. So let's say that you meet someone, get into that sort of daily flow of connecting with them on LinkedIn. A lot of people don't know this, but the LinkedIn app actually has a QR code. So if you meet someone, you don't need to actually type their name, type their email into LinkedIn. You can click on the search engine and to the right, there's a little QR icon. Click that and you can either share or receive a QR code on LinkedIn. So that's a really cool way to do it. I recommend doing that with people at conferences, you know, when you meet them, networking, wherever you are, it takes two seconds to do that. It's faster than a, a business card swap. You don't have to go back to your desk and sort of scan something. So that's kind of a cool play. There's also some apps in the marketplaces that you scan an app and they automatically connect you with the person on LinkedIn. Those are cool too. I personally have a virtual assistant where anytime I meet someone, I scan it into a channel on Slack and then she goes in and she adds them to my LinkedIn, adds them to my contacts and then sort of gives them a little thumbs up so I know that it's done. So that's kind of my workflow. We do this at scale sometimes. We'll go to conferences and meet you know hundreds of people within just a one or two day period. So we need something a little bit more um, scalable. I think the next thing is to get daily posts, you know, daily videos. I mean, you've got a webcam, you've got great lighting, a great frame. Obviously, you've got a lot of intelligence, a lot of information. Um, highly encourage that, you know. I love what you said about taking a day or taking a couple hours to record content. That's one of my best tricks. A lot of the times, we won't shoot a week of content in a week. We'll shoot a week of content or even a month of content in one day, actually, with one of our clients, we have 30 days of content that we actually post on their behalf as part of our managed services, and it all happens in a day. Busy CEO, world traveler, a couple of wardrobe changes, a couple of location changes, minimal equipment, nice little mic, nice little light setup, very portable, very modular, and then we'll just float around you know, his office, his space, even outside the workplace, and we'll get a lot of content, You know, sometimes dozens. So, you know, if you have a Saturday, if you have a Sunday where you just have nothing to do or you want to, you know, not do the Netflix Hulu thing, not go to the beach, not hang with friends, not do the margaritas, not do all that stuff that y'all should do. And it's important. Work-life balance is great. Family is awesome. But, you know, consider taking out a day out of your month and shoot all your content, you know, for that month because it's it's very easy to do if you get into a flow. I love that you're using a project management system. You use Asana. There's a lot of great ones out there. So highly encourage that. Saying this just because I like your content and I, and I believe in it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I had no idea that you could import contacts into LinkedIn. So yeah. <laughs> you told me that. I, yeah. I didn't even know that was possible. I oh, do boom. Do You're going to double your, your contact list after that. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. I do do the same thing as you where, I don't know if you can see it here, but I have my, my trusty uh, scan snap here, which is like a godsend. I don't know if you've ever worked with one. Oh, let's, let's see that. What is that? It's like a little desktop. You can see it here. It's like a little a little transformer scanner. So it's meant to be like a desktop scanner. Ah, so this is a card scanner as well? It's just a, it's a regular scanner, but it's really fast. And it's a little pricey for a scanner, especially since it, that's all it does. But it's a godsend. Attorneys are like obsessed with this. This little tiny thing allowed me to go completely paperless. I wish I could show you, but you know, as a law firm, we're super paper heavy. And my entire firm is in a box like this big. Like that's all oh, the paper wow. I carry in my firm. It's really fast. You can, it'll automatically detect if there's double-sided documents and you can do documents of different sizes. So you can just load a stack of, you know, regular papers, receipts, business cards, whatever, all at once and it'll fly through it. And, you know, every blue moon, I'm sure you'll have a little paper jam or something, but for the most part, it's awesome. So it's just it makes it really easy for me to scan things into my assistant when I come home. I mean, when I come back to the office, I grab whatever stack of cards from where everyone I met and they get put into my my practice management software which then uploads to MailChimp and I also tell them like find everyone on LinkedIn so I'm trying Perfect. to go that LinkedIn thing and I well, actually learned a, a cool you probably know about it a cool little hack with LinkedIn is that when you're at a conference or something like that there's this like find people feature oh yeah I've never used that I've never used that. We've yeah. at conferences where someone will say, you know, by the way, if you have LinkedIn app, you know, go now and hit the find people button and you'll hit it. And like all of a sudden, everyone who's sitting around you who you've already met will pop up and you'll just be like, add, 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 add. Obviously, they have to turn it on too. And it's not something that stays on permanently. I think you kind of have to all turn it on at the same time. But it's a pretty cool little hack to get everyone in a small meeting to add everyone at the same time. 
Very cool. So the location intelligent feature on LinkedIn. Cool. I'll have to check that out a little bit yeah, more. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's kind of like the person with the mic has to kind of throw it out there so that everyone does it at the same time, but it's right. That it's makes little. sense. Yeah. I think another best practice that I have for LinkedIn when it comes to prospecting is, you know, if you do get a prospect that asks a specific question, hit record, you know, answer that question for them. You don't need to announce their name. You don't need to mention that it's for them specifically. You can make it a generic sort of general thing. But the value though in that is that you have a piece of content, you're answering someone specific with the actual question that they have, something that they're trying to solve. And then you can sort of at mention them or reply them in the comments or in the post itself. And then you kind of know that they're going to see it. But then you also, through some hashtags and some discovery and through your contacts that are already on LinkedIn, you might find someone else that's in the same predicament. So a lot of people struggle with that. What should I record? What is my content? What should I talk about? People are asking you questions, emails, conferences. You know, when you go to hang with your family and talk to your uncle, people have questions about all these various things because they want to help themselves and they want to improve their lives. You know, it's important to capture what those questions are and then potentially devise a content calendar based on those questions. And then you never run into that problem or what should I talk about? The other thing is that it sort of liberates the, you know, imposter factor that a lot of us might feel when we just hit record and start talking about something that's in our stream of consciousness. It comes from a real place. You know, we're providing a value to someone specific in our lives. So there's something a little bit liberating about that. Just knowing that you're actually providing something to someone where they actually had a question that you can potentially answer. So that's another kind of best practice that I recommend. Get your questions, put them on a list, take your time, go record them and share them. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I hadn't thought about, you know, posting it to a specific question and then tagging the person. That's a great idea. I actually have my assistant doing it on Asana as well. I was like, you know, what are the questions that are constantly coming up for you? You know, that maybe you can't answer because you're not a lawyer, but you know, as you see them repeating over and over again, just throw them into my Asana because I actually have a project called, you know, videos to record. And so she'll just start typing up stuff that she's just getting these repeat questions over and over again. They may not even be legal questions. Sometimes it's like, okay, well, you filed a lawsuit, like what's next? People don't know. As attorneys, we take that for granted, right? We think like, oh, well, next is discovery. <laughs> People are like, I don't know what that is, you know? So when your staff, I think, has kind of their finger on the pulse of the non-in-the-biz questions that we take for granted that we know the answer to, then you can record those videos and maybe you don't put those videos on LinkedIn, but maybe they're awesome videos that you can record once and you can answer that, you know, you can send it out to someone like, hey, we filed your lawsuit, here's what you can expect next. And you can make that video for them, you know, on Dub, for example, I love the call to action at the end of Dub, and send that video every single time you file a lawsuit. You know, you can just make this generic video, send it to your client and then say, if you have any questions, you know, click the button below and send me an email. And I think that's the biggest complaint that attorneys get is they don't stay in touch with their clients enough. Their clients don't know what's going on with their case. They feel lost. They're not getting their questions answered. They're anxious all the time. And it's such a great way to stay in touch. And I think that goes for any business. I mean, clients always want to know what's going on with their stuff. Love that. There's a little bit of an announcement and I'll just actually take a moment now to kind of, uh, this is actually the first time that I'm bringing this up. Actually, no one knows that we have this new feature coming out, but it's basically an integration into YouTube. Nice. So Dub is now going to integrate into YouTube. We're at the final stage right now of getting approved. So we've tested it. We've gone through the process. It works really well. We just need to get like final approval. It's, it's about a three-month process with Google and the YouTube team. But anyways, we're at sort of the 10-yard line right now. And just getting that kind of prepped up, ready for launch. And, you know, I think a really interesting use case is you meet a prospect, you meet someone, they have a specific question, you jump in a dub, just do a quick little webcam recording. Don't mention them potentially. You don't need to mention their name. You can sort of make it an evergreen piece of content. You can say, hey, today we're going to talk about, um, you know, corporate formation. And then you actually jump into a video, 30 seconds, two, three minutes, whatever it may be. And then you record that, send it to them in real time, add a little bit of video personalization. They love it. It's specific to what their question was. They fall in love with you. They want to work with you because you've educated them and it's sort of real time. But then you also have an opportunity to download that video, upload it to YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, wh whatever channel is appropriate for you. And then you have a kind of three-tier strategy, which is 
one-to-one video communication for prospecting with personalization, ephemeral video posting on social channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, maybe Instagram, maybe not, and then evergreen content, which can go onto the blog and onto YouTube. So you're sort of tackling all of these different realms within one workflow. So, you know, I highly encourage that. You know, let me know if that works for you. That's awesome. I'm a huge fan of repurposing content. You know, one thing that I want to start doing is like maybe getting Rev or one of these companies that does the um, captions, closed captions. We use Rev. Not just the closed captions, but they'll actually do the um, The transcriptions of your videos. Mm -hmm. And then you can send those transcriptions to a writer and they can turn your video into a blog. You know, you provide the basis. Exactly. And so, you know, people, I feel like they don't see the value in video. And to me, it's so easy, like you said, to just jump on the camera. The hardest part is getting over yourself, right? I was terrified the first time I had to do videos. I had actually paid for professional videos. It was through this company recommended by the Florida Bar. And they were awesome. Don't get me wrong. I I drove up to West Palm Beach and they had the whole studio. And I was terrified. I was so nervous. I I feel like I came off. And those videos are still on my website. So I don't care if people go and watch them. But I just feel like I was so stiff. I was so anxious. I think it was the fact of having someone there behind the camera threw me off so much. But I'm so glad I made those videos because it ripped the Band-Aid off for me. And one night I was working late and I got really mad about something that I read that was just terrible for my clients. And I went on with like no makeup in a t-shirt and said, I'm going live tomorrow on Facebook because I want to talk about this issue that's you know affecting South Floridians. And I went on at like 2 p.m. and talked for nine minutes about something that people just know nothing about, which is hurricane property claims and how insurance companies you know kind of take advantage of people. No one tuned in. I think like one person, maybe two people tuned in at the time. But that video has become such a piece of marketing for me because whenever someone reaches out to me about a hurricane claim I just send them that video you know and it's terrible like the lighting is horrible I had this terrible camera but it's chock full of such great information that I send it to them and now they feel like they know me I've answered so many of their questions they realize that I know what I'm talking about and it really helps me a lot you know to to get clients and you know what worst case scenario they don't hire me at least there's one more educated person out there and that makes me feel good so I really like you said I just encourage people all the time get out there do the video and then you can use it so many different ways people just don't realize yeah the repurposing uh, workflow is it's, it's so critical a lot of people are kind of stuck into the channels that they feel comfortable in in my opinion that's not the right play you really have to be omni-channel you got to start I, we call it the waterfall method where we start with longer form kind of unscripted um, raw recordings and then that turns into a, a longer kind of video piece and then that gets cut into something that goes on to other quicker channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and then the larger piece gets sent to a writer that turns into a blog post, publish it on our blog, and then we publish it on LinkedIn articles and also Medium articles, and then we link back to our blog for SEO to give us a little juice there. We have a little bit of a following on LinkedIn and also Medium, so it's a lot of traffic drivers. So one asset, one recording will go through this waterfall and it'll exist for, you know, weeks and it'll provide us content that lasts a little while, you know? And then of course, when the content is on the social channels, especially LinkedIn, YouTube, and a blog, it becomes evergreen. It feeds the Google gods and the search engines and (laughs) people start searching for stuff and then they find us. So, you know, it starts to scale, you know, it's right now, the metaphor, the visual analogy that I like to bring up when it comes to businesses and entry points for the business, it's not you know a castle with a moat where there's one entrance you know with a drawbridge. This is the Colosseum. There are hundreds of entrances all around the edifice, and there are so many different ways that people can enter: social channels, websites, you know that video that you recorded on whatever channel. It's all about that, and it's all about letting people come in where they're comfortable, consuming the com- content that's going to make them feel good, that's going to help them in their lives, and then ultimately build a relationship with people like yourself that want to, you know, do business with you. So that flow is an ecosystem. But when you can hit it, it's pretty powerful. I love that analogy, the the Coliseum one. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, and I think to people, like, they get so hung up on things having to be perfect. I'm one of those people. I'm a recovering perfectionist. I think that we use perfection as a means to procrastinate. And I talk about that a lot on my Instagram page and and things like that, especially I feel like women were super perfectionists 
but sometimes you're just doing that because you're scared or you're just making excuses. And so I always tell people, I'm like, you know, done is better than perfect. I have videos mm-hmm. where like my phone's, you know, rang in the, in the middle of filming and I'm just like, oops, and I turn off my phone and I just keep talking and I don't care. You know, I don't care that people, if you think I need to be this like stuffy lawyer, I'm probably not the best, going to be the best fit for you anyway. So just do it. And, and the more you do it, the more comfortable you're going to get with it. Um, you got to start somewhere. But there's so many people that are so terrified of being on camera. And I just think like you don't have to be an actor. You don't have to be super animated. Just be yourself and just get it done. You know, it's a whole new world out there. You know, no one's reading material like they used to, you know, maybe unfortunately. But video is the future as far as I'm concerned. Well said. Well, that's a great place to break out here and uh, stop the podcast. But I, I just wanted to say that I, I really appreciate your time. And um, it was, we're, we're so glad to have you on our platform. You know, we're all ears. So yeah, if you any feedback or any kind of recommendations, you know, we need that data, we need that intel. So please keep in touch with us social channels, you know, email me wherever it's comfortable. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I'm going to have to rewatch this so I can jot down all your best practices for LinkedIn because I think there was some, some good stuff in there for sure. Well, I'll, I'll leave you with one last I think your assistant will love me for, which I don't know if you know about this one, but in Asana, you can associate, you can create an email address that gets associated with a project. From your phone, you can email something with the subject line and then that will automatically become a task in Asana. So each project has its own email address? Each project has its own email address. So you can copy that email address, save that on your phone in your contacts as Asana task for you know videos to record, whatever the project style, and right. then email just a subject line. Of course, what's in the body enters the description and it's just a one click, you know, feeding your Asana task system essentially. I- I did not know about that. I'm constantly learning about new features. I'm actually using the free <laughs> version, so I've Oh yeah, no, it's totally it. on the free version. Awesome, awesome. And I, I'm guessing you can probably use the attachment feature and it'll attach it to the task? Absolutely. That's Absolutely. awesome. I didn't know about that. Good to so know. So you could record a you could record a video, send it to your Asana with that email, with a description and, a, and an attached video, and then boom, you can outsource that for whatever needs to happen. I love it. Well, I want to hear more about the YouTube thing. So what's going to happen? You're going to be able to record and then... Ooh, so this is some uh, confidential stuff. So I'll, yeah. I'll give you a little little teaser we here. Okay. So, no, no, it's all good. You asked me the question, I'll bring it. So basically the way that the Dub YouTube integration is going to work is that when you record a video webcam screen and you save it to your dashboard within Dub, there's going to be a one-click upload to YouTube. So you're going to be able to take that video and just throw it up into your YouTube account. And then you can give it a title and a description, add some tags, really good for screen video. So it's just going to be a totally streamlined process. That's awesome. Yeah, because right now you got to do the MP4 download and then you got to upload. Awesome. Okay, we'll get to know. on that, yeah. (laughs) Is is Facebook next or am am I pushing it? Uh, you're pushing it. <laughs> well, I'll call Mark about that and I'll see if there's some sort of an API. I've never heard of one, but uh, at least an open one. So stay tuned on that one. <laughs> All righty. Thanks and, again for having me. This has been awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed absolutely. it. Um, since you love physics so much, I'm actually going to leave you with a quote. <laughs> this is actually an Albert Einstein quote I'm a fan of. So here it is. There are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. Yeah, that's a great quote. I've, I've heard it before and it, it hits home every time. It's a good one. Thank well, you so thank much. Thank you so much, Ruben. I really enjoyed myself. Appreciate the time. All right. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Bye.